Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmayla. This is David Lichtenstein. This week's topic will be influences in halacha and hashkafa. What is an influencer? Influencer is a relatively new creation. It's an individual who has gained a significant following and influence on social media and other online channels. And they're often regarded as experts, trendsetters in their niches, and their opinions and recommendations are widely accepted by their followers and impact their behavior and purchasing decision of their followers. They're basically leaders of a certain type and we have a lot of questions about it. So for example, what are some of the shilohs we'll discuss? What responsibility does an influencer have to do due diligence when endorsing a product or a business deal? An influencer recommends a certain hotel or a wedding hall or, I don't know, furniture company or a financial product. Well, people are going to follow them if they're doing it solely because they're being paid and they don't believe in the product and somebody buys it or buys that house that, you know, in that, that deer or whatever it may be, are they liable for damages? Are they liable for damages by the other? Maybe they should mind. We'll discuss both. Does an influencer have to tell his audience that he's being paid to endorse a product? And if he doesn't, is it Geneva's Das? What about influences who endorse certain lifestyle, beautiful flowers, beautiful homes, beautiful furniture, beautiful vacations? Are they basically pushing on the Olam HaTayra, which is most of our listenership, a lifestyle that goes against a lot of our core values? Are they causing people to live beyond their means? So who are our guests going to be? We're going to have Rabbi Michal Frank from Silver Spring. He's the Rav of Oratory, the Dain, and the Bezdin of the Greater Washington area uh, to answer the Halacha Shilas. We're going to have Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from uh, South Florida, the Yeshiva of South Florida, the Rav of, of Boca, to uh, talk about the Hashkafic Shilas. I mean, basically, we've created uh, many new leaders who are they basically replacing the influence of Rabbanim, Madrichim, principles? etc. We'll talk about Ashkafic issues. Then we're going to have Chaya Lichtenstein, who's one of the most popular Orthodox influencers, Shei Chaya. We'll have another Jewish influencer, Nachi Gordon, Meaningful Minute, Meaningful People. It reaches many people, does wonderful work. Now, lest you think that influences don't, you're from the oldest school like I am, uh, I think Nachi Gordon tells us that there are over 50 Jewish influences from influences who have a reach of over 50,000 people. That's a lot of people. So I think this is a, a sort of a new simon in this, both Sifrei Halacha and the Shulchan Aruch and in Sifrei Ashkafa that will be written in our lifetime. And as usual, we would like headlines to be on the vanguard, the cutting edge of this, and that's the purpose of this program. I was asked to speak in the city last week, and when my schedule permits, I'd love to do it. Uh, if we could, if we could be in Marbis Torah, it's a great honor. And I was asked to speak about Golos and Gula, the Churban, uh, Tishabav, and post Tishabav, we go from Churban, we go to Tubav, the Yamtiv of Tubav. I had a, a thought, I would, a simple thought I would like to share with you. Tishabav, the first time we see a Remis written in the Torah is by the Miraglam. You are Baicha Bechia Shalchinam, eventually you will be Baicha Bechia, that's not Shalchinam, but Israel. And it's by the Miraglam. What is special about the Chaita Miraglam that is sort of is the precursor to Tishabav? Well, the simple reason is, on a simple level, it's the Miraglam basically were Bayit in Eretz Yisrael. They rejected Eretz Yisrael, right? Eretz Chemda. And the Churban is about basically being forced to leave Eretz Yisrael. I want to say, though, a different thought. It says in the parsha, last week's parsha about the Miraglam, Vatahinu Lalois Ba'aretz. And we were amazed 
Fatahinwins were amazed, were astounded, Lale Sahara, uh, by the Khetam they were astounded at the Khetamaraglam. And the Daskanim says, What were they amazed at? They were amazed that it's true we were Miraglam, or they were Miraglam. What's the big deal? I mean, could a, a few words really make a difference? Could we really have made a difference by the Rabbi Shalom that because of that he won't let us go into Eretz Yisrael? Like we're just little people. And you see that same theme by the Miraglam. We looked like grasshoppers to them. Rashi says, we could hear them talking and they said, look, there are grasshoppers in the field. Because we really had an image of ourselves as being very powerless, unable to make a difference. And this is, this is the precursor for Chorbin. And why is that? Because if we don't believe we can make a difference, we don't make a difference. And by the way, everybody can make a difference. And what's my proof? Avariah Bura, did you ever try to sleep Shabbos at night in a room that has a mosquito in it? And you see the power of a tiny thing to make a difference? That's a mosquito. We built a shul recently here in Mansi, the Balshemtev shul. And there were two neighbors who were opposed to it. And basically the whole community was for it. And they were able to slow us down by almost a year by just talking up to the town, etc. So the power of people to impact is far more than they realize. And that's really, what was the Chayit HaMaraglam? They didn't believe in their own power. Now Chazal say, it says three times Eicha in the, t- in the same letter, Ayeka, by Adam Rishon, Hashem asked him where he says, Ayeka, where are you? Spelled Aleph Yud Chavhe, letters of Eicha. Moshe said, Eicha Esalavadi, and Chazal say, and ultimately Yirmiya said, Eicha Yashva Badad. So, the simple thing, you could look at it and say, wow, it's just the same four letters in three places. Or you could say, no, it's a linear progression. You know how Churban, destruction, defeat starts? Ayeka, where were you? Oh, I, I didn't think I could make a difference. Why did it matter where I was? That's the beginning. And the next thing is, is when the leaders who do try, they say, Eicha Esalavadi, I just can't do this by myself. Where are all of you? Where is the support? And where does this ultimately end? It ultimately ends by Eicha Yashva Badad. When we lose belief in our ability to make a difference, when we lose sight of our own power, that is the beginning of defeat and ultimately churban. But on the other hand, when we speak up and when we step up, and even if we're as little as a mosquito, we, we fly and we make noise, that's the opposite of churban. I heard a, a fabulous story. The Gaivid, the Gain of Bezdin of Yerushalayim, was Ramosha Tuvya Weiss. Rabbi Weiss has a, had a fabulous story, and he said it over his story. He said, um, he left Europe on the kinder transport. The kinder transport was a transport of 10,000 children who were allowed to leave Europe, Germany, Czechoslovakia, Austria, in the 39 and 40. Without their parents, they were left. They were, England accepted them, and they were all saved. And for the most part, all their parents, rest of the families, were annihilated, were killed, were, were murdered by the, uh, the, the Germans. So Rabbi Weiss said that he was, when he was 12, 13, and he came to England, King George was going to be in London. And all the kids, or many of the kids who were, they were all broken up, but the, the group of children that were together that he was with um, were brought to a parade where King George was in his, in his motorcade, was going to be driving down the avenue, waving to people. And the school that he was in brought the kids. And he had a, another boy who was also like 12 or 13 years old. A little boy ran into the street in front of the motorcade of King George and screaming and crying. And the police ran quickly and they grabbed this boy and they, they pulled him away. But King George, who it seems was an empathetic person, said, can you bring him back? So they brought him back and he said, what is he saying? And uh, I don't know if they had an interpreter. This little boy spoke English at that point. said, I'm here, but my parents are in Europe 
and I, I, I miss them tremendously, or I don't want them to die. So King George had his secretaries with him take notes, and he said, and two weeks later, that boy's parents were in back in uh, in England. And her wife said when he ran out, like this little tiny boy running in front of the king's motorcade with its horses and everything, and uh, what's he doing? Who is this? What is this? And he doesn't speak the language, and he was you know insignificant and tiny. And he said, but he spoke up, and his parents were saved. And I didn't speak up, and my whole family was annihilated. My parents were annihilated. The power of speaking up, the power of doing something, believing that your actions make a difference. That is the beginning of Gula. So it's a lesson for all of us. No matter how small you think you may be one day, or I think a bad my mood is one day, you're not worse than that mosquito in the dark room. Yes, the beginning of Gula is saying, I can make a difference. Let's go to riddles of the week. So here's the riddle of the week. The Pasik says, And what does Rashi say? Right? You can't say, Our heroes cannot be Anakum. What does Ramam say in, in Avodah and you've heard on the program here during the Yisman, you know, in some of the our magazines, they had pictures glowing of Trump and, and these also these Gaisha politicians. I said, it's Nagid the Rambam, the Rasa over a love. Here's the question. Everybody, since you're a little kid, when it comes to Kibbutz Aim, they say the story of Dama Benesina. The guy with the, the diamond under his father's pillow, and he didn't want to. Um, and the Gemara learns how far Kibbutz Aim has to go from Dhamma Benesina. I don't understand that. How could Ula, this is the Gemara in Kedusha, Lamar Aleph, Lamar Aleph, Boiminem, Ravula, Adhechen, Kibbutz Aim, how could Ula be used Dhamma Benesina as the paradigm of Kibbutz Aim and be Meshabeachem when it goes negative? of of the Isser, the love of That is our riddle of the week. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America our number is 732-806-8700. In England it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our fabulous Sheer. Joining us from Silver Spring is Harav Michael Frank. He's the Murad Astra of Oyra He's a Dayan on the Vad of Greater Washington. He's a Talmud of Brisk and Riverdale. Welcome, Rav Michael. I'm welcome. Thank you for having me. Rav Michael, there's a new simon in Shulchan Aruch that's being written in our lifetime, and it's going to be the simon of the influencer, Hilchas influencer. 
Um, we, we, we've rarely had something, we've had similar things, but nothing exactly like it. We have an individual who has, uh, we interviewed one person today, had 150,000 followers, which is a lot of people, right? Yeah. And they have, they, they speak and people, you know, they have an impact on people's opinions. So my question is, what responsibility does an influencer have to do due diligence when endorsing a product or business deal? And so I get up there and I say, invest with so-and-so. And I get paid, you know, people listen to me, but do I have to do due diligence? Do I have to assume people are listening to me? Or can I just say, look, it's just like something in a magazine. Does, do you really believe it? Or maybe a magazine does have to have some responsibility. When you have the ability to influence people's opinions and it will have either financial impact or it could have social impact, somebody's shalom bias, somebody's relationship with a child. What a Christ do you have halachically? Let's, before we go to ethical and moral, just from a halacha point of view. Right. That's a great question, and we really have to divide this question into a couple of parts. Here are the parts. Number one, are the listeners being misled in terms of thinking that the influencer isn't being paid for this endorsement when, in fact, they are? Number two, does the influencer have to really believe in the product or have used it, tested it, and actually like it the way they're presenting it? Or... Can they just parrot whatever the advertiser tells them to say, uh, being that they're making an advertisement or promotion? And number three is if they are in truth wrong about a product, like it doesn't do what they say um, and it doesn't have the value that they're presenting that it has, how culpable are they for that if people do follow their advice? and buy it based on the recommendation and then are obviously disappointed and lose money. How responsible is the person, the influencer who made that promotion? How responsible are they? And largely these questions fall under the halakhas of Nevis Das, but there's also a question of magic here as well as we'll see. So let's begin with the first. Do the listeners know that they that the influencer is being paid to endorse the product? Because a lot of times the way the influencer or the person, you know, on a blog or a podcast, anything, uh, are they they they, they um, make it sound like they're all excited about this product and this product is such a great product and it has all these these advantages and it's so much better than any other competing product in the market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it just makes it sound like they are really excited about it and the listeners do trust the influencer's opinion because this influencer may have already demonstrated themselves as an expert in a certain area or they have access to good information from all their listeners, you know, so they know what's good and what's not good. So there's many reasons why people would be inclined to believe that the uh, influencer really does know what's good and what's not. And if they present it as, you know, that way and the listener does no idea that it's just really a paid advertisement and they're just really saying whatever whatever the advertiser wants them to say. So that is the first problem over here, that the listeners are being misled in terms of they think the influencer has their best interest in mind, when in truth, it's just an advertisement. So I would break down that question as I would go back. Is there any halachic obligation to disclose it? The reason why this question is so relevant is because they're being paid, and that's why they're giving a misleading message to the customer. Now, what this really is, is falls under Geneva's Das, as we mentioned earlier. So let, let's understand a little bit about Geneva's Das. Typically, Geneva's Das, the way it's usually applied, is making someone think that you've done them a favor when in truth you haven't. So the Geneva's Das is it's like a literal stealing. You're stealing their mind, making them think they owe you something, and owe you a favor, not money, but they owe you a favor when in truth they don't. So like one example that I have is you open, uh, you tell someone, oh, I just opened this really expensive bottle of wine just for you. And truth is it was open already. So you didn't do it for them. And here they think, wow, you know, he's, he's 
treating me so, uh, he thinks I'm so special, and they're going to owe you that favor, and they really don't, and haven't. Now, this isn't so applicable to our situation, but there's another case in the Gemara, and interestingly, it's with a non-Jew, that the the, the seller, the, the non-Jew comes in saying he wants kosher meat, and the seller says, sure, this is kosher meat, and it's even if he uh, assumes it's correct, right? Even if the, the, just the non-Jew assumes it's kosher meat because it's a kosher store. And, uh, and the, then the seller goes and gives him the bail. And even if there's absolutely no tr- difference in price, he's not being cheated in price at all. Uh, he's just being sold under the pretense that it is kosher and when in, in truth it's uh, nevela. So it's Geneva's das. So what exactly is the Geneva's das here? The Geneva's das is, is that he thinks he's getting a special product. Like he always gets nevela, right? He's a non-Jew. It's three bucks. But he always gets nevela. But here he thought he's getting something special and some kind of special quality. Uh, it's, it's an intangible quality. It's not even a, a, a monetary value. It's just some kind of intangible chasibus that he thinks it has. Um, and in truth, it doesn't have it. It's just getting the same old product. So you see that giving the impression that a product is special when in truth it isn't, or if you're giving the impression that a product is better than all the competition, when in truth it's not, and nothing special about it, or it has any kind of value that, uh, that, uh, that, that you're presenting that really it doesn't have, or you don't know that it has. Um, so that's Geneva's das. And in the same by the same token, giving people the impression that what you are telling them is for their best um, in their best interest, because it's as if you have this personal knowledge that this product is so good, is basically you're kind of marketing the item as kosher when really it's novella. Meaning you're saying it has all these uh, advantages because I am testifying to that when in truth you're just being paid to say it. And it's not uh, anything special other than the fact that you're being paid, which obviously diminishes the validity of what you're saying tremendously. Uh, another example of this is like when um, a magazine writes an ad, but instead of writing it as an ad, they make an opinion article, right? So as if they're giving this objective view about different products, and lo and behold, they come out that the product that they're being paid to promote is the best product. And that's Geneva's Das, because it gives people an idea that there's something objectively good about the product, when in truth, there's nothing special about it, it's just being paid to write this advertisement. So for an influencer to give the impression that they really believe in a product, and people believe them, because they think their opinion does mean something, which it probably does, you know, they have access to or they may be an expert, as I said, but in truth, that has, that has nothing to do with why they're promoting this product. They're only promoting it because they're being paid, number one, or even if they do think the product is great, but people don't realize they're being paid, which obviously would help people take their advice with a grain of salt, right? I mean, they know you're being paid to promote this product, so it's not like you just picked it out of the out of the bag and say, oh, wow, this is the greatest product, so that would also diminish largely the level of importance and, and, and uh, relevance they would give to your advice, so by doing that and causing the product to be sold, that is also falls under a, a serious issue of Canada's staff. Right. Now, what's interesting about that? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, continue. Go ahead. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is now you could make an argument and you could say, well, you know, everybody knows, right? Everybody knows that when they say, uh, oh, buy this, you know, it's because that's the way they pay for their, you know, whatever it is that they have to pay for. That's how they make money. They make money from endorsing products. So the interesting rash of an um, the Rav Sokhanar says he has one Kedah Gachash in this book, and in there, it doesn't work with the regular Samanim, but it's Tokhaf and Nah, and Sifkit's and head. He talks about where you try to make a product look like better than it is. So he says you can't take meat and soak it in water so that it looks very fat. Uh, and he says, though, if Minnet Kalakasav Mu'akitain, if all butchers do that, and everybody knows that they all do that, so then he's engaging to matter, and are those people who hold out, because everybody knows. But then he says, if you care about 
you know, if you're Shemayim and you care about Isurim, you should distance yourself from this because he says there are going to be people, there are going to be people who don't know. Uh, the, the buyer might think that it's really good. And the truth is, this is why they do it. They, they do it because, you know, they, they, they do want to present it that way. So on the chance that there are going to be people that will be fooled by it, then it'll turn out that you will have an Ivernister with them, and therefore it's prohibited. So that's also uh, something to to take into consideration, so, that you can't... Well, this, would, well, this, would, this yeah. would cause a lot of magazines uh, to have real problems, wouldn't it? Um, you know, I don't... I, I'm assuming, you know, that they have... Most of the film magazines have a rabbinical board, and they would warn them about this kind of thing. Meaning, they have advertisements, which are clear advertisements, right? You can always tell the advertisements. And then when they have any kind of product review, uh, you would hope that uh, they're being honest about it. But, but what about, what about a, 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 it's an ad, and an ad is always Instagram. In other words, the, photocop- the, 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 the picture of the hotel is going to be, you know, the best imaginable Photoshopped picture. The picture of the building that they're selling Deerus in is going to be Photoshopped with trees and people, and, and a lot of it is Baba Meisters, right? Now, mm-hmm. would you say it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a newspaper or it's a magazine, and it's true that it's an ad, but people look at it and they they're, they're advertising because they want people to be sort of taken in by it right would that fall mm-hmm. under what the rav calls sherman afshay would you would you say uh it's there is a possibility of that um especially if it's a significant enough difference that it'll really fool the person like you know if you um advertise a room in your hotel and there's really only one room that looks like that <laughs> You know, which has the view and the light and the sun and everything, and all the rest of them are significantly worse. Like, people will walk in and say, oh, my God, this is what I saw. This is what you advertised. Uh, I definitely think it would fall under this. Right. You're saying where there's, there's a lot a, of criteria. Yeah, where there's a reasonable, where there's a reasonable divergence from, from what is being portrayed to what actually is. And it's, and it's, right. it's a gray area, like what's called, uh, what's called reasonable. Yeah. I remember I was once at Rebel Yashiv and a whole bunch of, you know, you know, whatever, you know, light. We were trying to figure out on a blech how close, you know, so we, this close, that close, vivite. So Rebel Yashiv looked at me. I said, vivite. He said, bisbenebrak, azoivite. <laughs> How do you, it's very hard to uh, what's the chum? But 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 you're saying it could be that in a, in a magazine could be over on the show. you like many many times in a single publication if they're not if they're not if they don't have some type of somebody who's watching for this type of an issue. Yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of the if they're running the advertisement, so they usually have a disclaimer that they don't take any responsibility for the advertisements that they run. So it wouldn't necessarily be their problem as much as the person who's paying for the advertisement. He's the one who's actually presenting the false information. How many people who read a magazine or a newspaper read the fine print someplace where it says that they don't take any responsibility? How many, of our uh, how many of our listeners have ever seen this fine print in one of the newspapers or magazines you've read? I would ask. That's what I would ask. Okay, but continue. So, so continue. So with Geneva's Das, you're saying... If they didn't disclose they're being paid, and it's an influencer, it would be a real problem of Geneva stuff. All right, now let's go to the right. Let's go back to the original question. So, so what response? I want to before, yeah. before you step away from this point. I just want to. Uh, this is actually relevant to a lot of different areas of business, not just to influencers. Um, a very common thing is that uh, people will take kickbacks from service providers. Um, let's say, for example. I don't know, uh, in the insurance business, right? So if someone, you have an insurance broker and they, you have a, a fire or a flood. So you go to them and you ask them, okay, who should I get 
as my appraiser? Who should I get as my this or my that? You know, whatever other services you have. And they recommend someone. But in truth, they're only recommending that person because they have a nice little deal with them. They get kickbacks. So they're not actually recommending them because they're very good. They're not recommending them because they're easy to work with. They're not recommending them, you know, for any other special reason other than the fact that they get money from them. That falls under the same thing, right? So they're doing the same thing as an influencer is doing. They're recommending someone. The person who they're recommending this service to thinks that it's because they feel this, you know, this is the best service for you and this is the best choice for you and they'll do the best job when in truth they're just being paid. Can you think of another example? That's a fabulous example. Valvik example. Yeah, and it's a, it's a very tricky thing because that actually nobody knows. <laughs> influencer, at least most people do realize that. Okay, so let me ask you another question. If an influencer didn't do due diligence and people suffer a financial loss, is the influencer responsible? What would you say? Okay, so that's kind of this next, next category of this. Uh, of the question, right? So the, the next category here would be there, there's a big difference in halacha between when you're actually culpable for something, when you can you know hold someone responsible, uh, but between whether they're actually allowed to do it or not, right? Um, for example, a grama benizakin, if you cause someone damage, so very often you can't be held responsible halachically for it, but it is most certainly prohibited to do. You're not allowed to do it. And it's uh, sometimes you even high bidishamayim. You have a responsibility bidishamayim to pay on your own. Basically, can't make you pay, but you're you're required to pay. But even if that is not the case, either is still something that is an isser. It's an isser of damaging someone else, which is whatever exactly the isser of damaging someone whatever whatever isser it falls under. But it's most certainly an isser. Uh, let me give you an, an example of a uh, an industry where maybe we you know it can be compared in terms of at least the ISR involved. Um, so if you seek professional advice, so so uh, you go to the, the Gemara's cases where you're looking to get something appraised for its value uh, or for its authenticity. So you bring a coin or a precious object and you want it to be appraised, right, for its, uh, for, for its value. Hamarit uh, Dinah right? You're talking about the Dinah Hamarit right? Yeah. It's involved. Uh-huh. Right, right. And the fellow makes a mistake. Right. So the, the halacha is, is that if he is a professional, if he's a, a truly accredited professional, so then we then it depends the whole, a whole bunch of different levels of makhlaikas over here. He has to know that you're relying on him um, and it depends if he's being paid or not being paid. But what's more important is if he's not a professional and he gives you, quote unquote, expert advice, that's called a pshia. Right, so that's called that's called criminal negligence, and in that case, we can actually hold the person responsible. He has to pay for your loss if you end up buying that item and it's uh, worthless, or or you know any any other kind of loss that you get you incurred from this um, this this bad advice. So uh, it falls under pshia, and the the reason why you're high is because of garmi, which is the kind of when you cause damage to other persons, there are kinds of certain situations where it's so clear you caused them damage and it's so immediate that the Chazal required you to pay even, you know, even though typically grama, when you cause something, you're not obligated. Here you would be. But what's more important to me is not whether you have to pay or not, but that it's the negligence that causes it is considered you caused that damage. Uh, and then most certainly, it's at least forgetting about whether you have to pay or not, it's certainly prohibited to do on every level, whether or not we can actually obligate you to pay. Sometimes, you know, the situation, there'll be too much of a distance in between the advice you give and the, the person that follows the advice, but it is negligent, right? So that's, that's what is, is, uh, is, is so relevant over here, is that I doubt we would be able to hold any influencer halachically culpable 
for giving bad advice uh, should they promote a product that's actually a very bad idea to buy for whatever reason, uh, or if they promote it in a way, or for, let's say, they promote a product for a certain use it's actually not good for that use, but they, they pr- pr- promote, um, uh, you know, a health product, uh, something that's, um, uh, you know, not not proven, not established by, by any by, by, by anybody's reckoning, reckoning that doesn't really work for curing that that ailment. So you're giving a person bad advice. You're telling them to buy something which is essentially worthless and unprovable. So it uh, could be, you know, from a halachic perspective, maybe it's a suffix, could be you don't know they were relying on you, so you can't be made to pay. But the fact that you're doing, neg- you're causing damage to someone else and most certainly prohibit you to do so. So that would at least require that the person who's promoting the product uh, is required to do due diligence to make sure that at least there's good enough reason for them to believe that it's a authentic good product for, for the, the thing they're promoting it for. So let me just hazard over what you said. The Shulchan Aruch in Shinvav says that if you marry dinner or Shulchan, if you give advice and you're not mm-hmm. an expert and the person relied on you, he says, Alecha ani saimech, he told other people, I, I'm relying on this guy, he told me to buy this mm-hmm. product and to invest this money, etc. Mm-hmm. And then you lose the mm-hmm. money. You would be chayav al zgarmi, right? If those terms were met, according to the Shulchan Aruch. Correct. And Ramah additionally adds on that um, that is the sheet uh, that Ramah brings an opinion that by kol grama benizakin, right? If it's davar shiach beragel, it happens that this person does it often. He'd be chayav l'shalim mishum knas, right? This is the Marie. Right. That's in and Hotel's right? Now in yeah. now you're saying even if you're us even if you're potter, somehow you wiggled out. No, I I, I didn't really mean that or, or the guy didn't say I'm relying on you to Shulchanarach in 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 this game says that um that even if Grama bin Izakin is potter, right, you still chayiv in the Shamayim. That means when you come up to the pearly dates you're gonna say, You owe that person the money. Right, because Correct. Of, because of the hezek that you, that you caused them. So basically, an influencer does have a responsibility to do due diligence when endorsing a product, or he could be either really high for the financial loss. If it's not bidei adam, depending on the case, but most certainly bidei shemayim. And even if sometimes we'll say it's not bidei shemayim, let's say for example, it's a uh, it's a shrigay. He didn't know. He can claim. You know, he he was. He didn't have any knowledge of it. There could be cases where maybe even the Shemaim, you won't hold him responsible. But the point is that giving advice without any uh, knowledge, without the sufficient knowledge and expertise, is a fear. So it's, it's negligence, and it's causing damage to someone through negligence. But it's certainly prohibited. Uh, that, that's, uh, that's the point I'm trying to make. It's not even relevant whether there's any kind of culpability. Before you even get there, you aren't allowed to do that. You can't, right. you, you can't do that to someone else. Right. Now, let me ask you another question. You know, mm-hmm. um, people usually understand Lifna Iver, Lashita, and Michel as, you know, you can't cause somebody to do an Avera. But it right. also doesn't lose its most simple pshat is don't put a stumbling stone in front of a blind person. And for, so the Chinuch famously says that if you give an Eitzorah L'Chavera, if you give mm-hmm. bad advice, and you do it um, through negligence or just you don't really care, disinterest, or to make money, a bad advice, you're over on, on Issa Daraisa of Lifta Iver, Le Sitein Michel. So the right, question. Possibly. Right? right. The, so the question, I believe it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying it's publishing the Chenach that, yeah. you know, very, very widely used. It's not like a, an outlier opinion. So my question mm-hmm. would be 
could this influence to say, look, I'm not high of Lefnaver. Everybody knows it's just an advertisement. And, you know, when you when you read an ad, you know, you can't trust me. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a fool's game, you know? Or do you have to say, no, the person did trust you? Okay. So could he be over Lefnaver or not? It's a good question. Um, it, it would have to be really bad advice, I imagine, to be Lefnaver. Uh, what's interesting is that regardless of what we hold about Lefna either, um, that's very clear in the Torah that if you give someone self-serving advice, um, that is for sure in Isra, it may be one of the Arurim of Aramashki Iver Baderech, that if you uh, give someone, you tell someone, uh, oh, I think you should be selling your field, it's a great time to sell it, uh, and really it's terrible for him to sell it, but it's just you want to buy it. So that is self-serving advice, so even if it's not Lefna Iver, it uh, falls under one of the Arurim or so on and so forth. So, um, so this would be exactly that. If a person's giving uh, advice, they're really just giving advice to a broad spectrum of people instead of just to one person. They're giving advice to 150,000 people, so to speak, and they're telling them, "I think it's a great idea for you to buy this product." And if they would never in 100 years buy this product, they think it's a waste of time and it's useless. Then uh, they're they're giving self-serving advice, self-serving bad advice. So, <laughs> whether it's listening either or not, it's questionable. But I think it certainly falls under that. That ister of, of advising someone to buy something that that just for your own, for your own benefit, not for their benefit, um, which is at least an error. So, bottom line is, being an influencer comes along with a lot of halachic pitfalls. If you don't, you know, you don't, uh, you're not careful, and you don't know the halachas. And if, unless you want to be over a lot of these surim in mess, it would be wise for an influencer to to find his local orthodox rabbi and go through what his obligations are. Is that a fair takeaway? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's a very fair takeaway. I think it's a, a fair takeaway for so many areas of business. Um, and because as I mentioned before, just like with the kickback, there's so many other applications where people are doing this very self same thing without realizing that that's what they're doing. Um, they're, they're, they're giving advice, they're promoting something, they're, they're pushing someone in a certain direction only to benefit themselves, not giving full disclosure. The person doesn't know that that's what they're doing yet. They also may or may not think that the product is that great and so on and so forth, but they would may convince themselves that it is so because of advantages they have and, and all these kind of things. You know, this, this is not only influencers. This is also when people get, um, what are they called again? Uh, when you, uh, you uh, affiliate links, right? When you, you sell something on a, a website uh, where you're not even selling it on a website, but rather you uh, you have a blog and uh, you you include a couple of links to products that you think are great products. And again, it's just because you get affiliate marketing, you get you get a a certain percent of the sale. It's the same thing as the influencer, and you're just doing it on a website, but it's the same, essentially doing the same thing. Where if you're promoting products, you may or may not think it's a good product. Do you see an influencer as being different than a magazine running ads? Uh, only in terms of the fact that they are, it's not clear that they're advertising. Um, also, and secondly, is that they often present it as personal advice. They say, uh, oh, I tried this myself, and I'm telling you this is the best thing. You know, and, I mean, if it's true, at least at least it's that. <laughs> but they should at least, it should, it should be true, and they should believe it. But uh, that's, that's why it's a little different than, um, than an advertisement in a magazine. If a, if a magazine advertisement would give false testimonials, it would be the same thing, right? If they say, this guy says it's awesome, and that guy says it's awesome, and there's no such person that never happened, that would be the same name as that. Which is why I think many of them put, like, you know, ads with an, this is an advertisement, though, right, on top of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope everybody understands that. Yeah. Right. Well, this was really wonderful. Thank you very much for your time.
Bye-bye, Frank. Thank you very much for having me. Call to take care. Bye-bye. Call to bye-bye. Joining us from Florida is Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. He's the Rav of uh, Boca Raton, probably the, possibly the largest shul in America. If it's not the largest, it's one of the handful of largest. He's also the founder and uh, one of the Rashi Yeshiva and the Yeshiva of South Florida. Welcome, Rabbi Ephraim. Thank you so much. So there's a new, new simon in Shulchan Aruch that's going to be written in the next number of years. And it's going to be called the halachas of influences. Many halachas, many shilas. If you influence people and they lose money, is it garmi? Is it grama? Uh, it's the chula v'chula, right? But I want to talk more on a hashkafa level. We can talk halacha too. There are many. I, I'm getting. I'm getting. Uh, I'm getting educated in this field. I've spoken to a number today, and it, it, the guy tells me there are 50 inf- Jewish influences who have audiences of more than 50,000 people. And if it's not today, it'll be this way in two years or five years. It's, it's headed in that direction, right? So my question to you is: as a mechanach, as a rosh Shiva, as a rav. Do we see a, a, a possibility where your Rav speaks in shul as 150, 200 people listening, and then you have some young person with a microphone who's reaching 50,000 people, and could it undermine the position of Rabbanim? Could it basically influence Chinuch, influence Rosh Hashivas, influence where they're, they're, they become basically second fiddle to this new social medium that's uh, sweeping the world? It's a fantastic question, David, and I think it's an important one that we're we're thinking about. We're not just allowing to have happen, and so many things in Kli Yisrael are like that. Are we simply going along with what's happening in the culture around us, and it's happening, or are we thoughtfully, mindfully, strategically buying in to some of these things that that have positives to them as well, right? Some of the influencer phenomenon has increased. Aspects of Shmir Samitzvos, some use their platform to promote greater Sniya, some use it to promote Kashras, some use it to promote Staka, some use it to promote fighting and helping release Agunas. So there are positives that have come out of it, but I think the phenomenon as a whole is an anathema to our Masora. The idea that someone would aspire to be labeled an influencer as if that's a career, a professional choice, as if that's a, an identity or the way someone would want to be known. The people who had the greatest influence throughout our history are Gedoli Israel and great men and women. They had influence. They never sought to be influencers. And there's a fundamental enormous difference between the two. It's not a career path. You don't monetize it. You're not trying to get free things out of it. A person should want to best represent and advocate Torah Hashem to make it come alive, to inspire others, to hopefully the Mesakein Olam, to, to repair the world and redeem the world, the Malchus Shakai, and to have an influence in doing that as a mouthpiece and an agent of Hashem. But not to be an influencer, which is all about the person. It's all about their status, their their followers, their friends. It's all about the level or the, the depth of the influence they have. The word hashpa'a comes from the word shefa, it's brought down, which means it has to be something that flows from the divine, from the shechina. The hashpa'a is, is a shefa. So the, the goal is to be an agent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's hashpa'a, to have his influence, to be an agent of that influence, but Lavdav to be an influencer. And we could talk about incredible examples of that from Moshe Feinstein, who, who never 
signed up or, or took a bechina to be considered the Godel Ador. And in an interview once with the New York Times, he even said, you don't wake up in the morning and you're not an expert on answers. He said, people started asking me questions and it looks like they, seems that they like the answers I gave. Rav Soloveitchik, who described himself as a Pasha Malamed, and, and many others, Rav Tam, the Rebbe, who, who hesitated and demurred to even take on the title of, of Rebbe for a full year after his father-in-law passed away. And, and there are many examples to Tachana, from whom we learned so much Hilchus Tzila, and she's the paradigm of Tzila, and she was davening privately in the Mishkan, thinking nobody was watching. So Hannah's perhaps the greatest influencer of Tzila, but she had no idea that she was having influence. So influencer and influence are two incredibly separate and different things and the idea that we, our children would grow up thinking it's a career path it's an identity, it's an ambition, it's an aspiration, it's a title that we're yearning is, is I think an anathema to our entire Masora. Well I'm just a practical uh, interviewer and I want to ask you de facto, will these become our new G'daylam? I mean given the amount, and when I say G'daylam I say that tongue in cheek, obviously not but given the reach their reach and their influence on the younger generation, they're going to be hearing much more from them than they're going to be hearing from their Rosh Hashivas. So how do we deal with that? that? That's a very important question. And I'd say it's true not only for influencers, it's true for podcasters. One could argue, Rudavid, that you're on that list of the top 50 greatest influencers, depending how loosely you want to use that term. Right? I, I don't know your statistics, although they're often published with the ad, how many downloads there are of headlines, halakhic headlines. So you're, you're contributing to setting the agenda of Israel in a very positive way, I think, right? Because you're, you're a person who's a Tamachal who's having conversations that revolve around Torah, Halacha, Hashkafa, Mesora. But depending how loosely you want to use the term influencer, simply measured by the, by the penetration of, of your podcast into Kal Yisrael, you are reaching far, far, far more people, multiples of what Rabbanim and Rashi Yeshiva do. You could argue that whoever chooses the cover of Mishpacha Magazine and Ami Magazine are influencers because the average Shabbos table in a from home, what they'll talk about is influenced much more by what's on the cover or what's being chosen to highlight in these magazines than whoever gave the drusha in shul. So whereas once upon a time, it was the Rav, it was the Rosh Yeshiva who had the greatest influence and set the agenda of the Jewish people, now I think that table has broadened. There are more seats at the table. And the Rav Rosh Yeshiva doesn't necessarily have the head seat, the seat at the head of the table anymore. Hopefully has a seat at the table if they're still, if they're still, uh, if they're still having a hashpa. So 100% there is an awesome responsibility on whether someone deems themselves an influencer or just takes the responsibility of having influence, right? So you, I to a lesser extent would say, hopefully we're having an influence. We're, we're taking the Torah Hashem and it's hopefully having an influence. It's having hashpa with the Shefa from the Ribbon Shalom. Wow, what an achrayis, what a responsibility. What are the things we want to focus on? What is your next episode? Who are you going to bring on to speak about it? How will you speak about it? Because it's an awesome responsibility and I think the danger is that anyone who happens to have some, um, who, who, who does well on camera and who has an internet connection, and who has a holder for their phone next to their steering wheel after carpool. And I don't mean to be cynical, because again, some are using it in a very, very positive way, but others are just pontificating about life, not steeped in the Makoros of Torah, not steeped in a Mesorah of Torah. They're just pontificating on whatever issue comes to their mind after dropping off carpool, looking in the camera. They do so maybe in an entertaining way. They do so in a relatable way. They do so because they have some presence on camera and people are watching. It's the responsibility, I don't know equally, but it's the responsibility both 
of the person who's looking into the camera and the person who's watching the one on camera. We, and, and I think one of the things that we need to teach our children and we need to emphasize a lot in our greater community is we have to be judicious and take responsibility with what we consume. Who are we watching and how seriously do we take it and how much influence does it have on us? How much do we allow ourselves to be influenced by it? Where are we going to for our Das Torah? Where are we going for our Das Torah? I use loosely, but where are we going through to form our opinions? And that could be true. Are we going to too many secular sources? Is culture, high culture, pop culture having too great an influence on us? And is the phenomenon of influencers having too great of an influence on us? So it's an achrayis, I think, both of those who have a following, how they use it and what agenda they're setting. And I think it's a equally enormous achrayis on us. And we should be one of the ways to be a responsible digital citizen or consumer of any information. When you read these magazines, just because someone wrote an article, who are they? Was it, so to say, peer-reviewed? What is their background? What's their training? What, what, what authority do they have and whatever they wrote the article about? And before we consume it and take it as, as uh, something which is the final word, are we being judicious? Are we filtering? Are we being careful how we consume and what we consume? Rebecca, what do you think of, um, for, the, for the most part, and again, I'm speaking like an Amaretz because I, I, don't, I don't have any of these Instagrams, Facebooks, or Hulu, but for the most part, most of influencers make money by selling products. So it's it's about consumerism. Do we have to be concerned as a society that um, the the endless consumerism that's being you know shoved in in, in, in our faces? I mean, open up some sure. of the, the magazines, and I don't say just about that, but you know, there's just pages of pages of of all the things you need from big giant juicy steaks to vacations to fancy hotels etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean have we become just and the and, and the influences do it in 3d and live have we become very materialistic and and, and, and is is from media as well as now the influence media is, is it really um you know the best this and the best of that and the best of the other thing and that's what the instagram is it a little frightening it's enormously frightening, uh, and we have a Masora for these things, right? What role that Gashmias and the physical and the material play. I do think it's naive to think that we could turn back the clock, or we can erase or somehow suppress the affluence and prosperity we've been zoch in our generation, because we didn't even have these conversations just a few generations ago when you were running from a pogrom or trying to survive extermination, or you were trying to find the next meal to eat in extreme poverty. You didn't have the luxury of debating what role that, that Gashmir's materialism, consumerism had. So the fact that we, we need to have the conversation is itself an enormous bracha for us. But I think the critical part is that we have the conversation. I don't know that, you know, some of these magazines are challenged because you could have on one page an article on Mustapik Bamuat and you turn the page and it's promoting the next watch or the next vacation this destination or like you described, the next meat board. So it's the juxtaposition of the two that sort of takes away the credibility of the message and by extension other messages and that I think we have to be careful about. But I think that we're, we're living in a time of such prosperity where there are challenges. We shouldn't minimize there definitely is poverty too. I've seen the recent headlines about the cost of kosher meat. It's about to spike even further than it has. There are people suffering and struggling and we're not minimizing that or dismissing that. Um, of course, that, that has to be a priority. But on the whole, on the whole, there's greater prosperity than ever. I describe, at least in my experience and in my community, even the, those who are struggling the most with poverty, even on Tom Shabbos, they have a car that has electric windows. Their children have, you know, phones, cell phones, smartphones, if they if they want them. So even within those who are struggling the most with with poverty today, there's relative to other generations a, a prosperity um, to it. So I, I think it's a mistake, and I don't think it'll be effective that the focus and the emphasis of our generation should be mistopic. Let's live without. Let's deprive ourselves. Let's live well below our means. 
I don't think that it's going to be a successful campaign. I don't be effective, and and I think it'll just it won't it won't land, and, and people would resent it. But I think understanding the bigger implications of a mentality and a generation is really important. It's an incredible comment on the Kliyakar on Pasha's Dvarim. Pnulachen Safona, the Kliyakar, Mamash writes an unbelievable thing. He says, relative, the pasuk there is talking about Esav and and Harseir and and how we rotate around and survive in Esav who is seeking our demise. And the Torah says Pnulachen Safona, the Kliyakar understands Safona Milashon Safon, like the Afikoman on Pesach, meaning hidden. And he says, in his generation through Jewish history, when Jews have flaunted their wealth and have used their influence to take over, uh, it never ended well. Now, to be clear, the anti-Semite who wants to destroy the Jewish people doesn't need an excuse. When we, when we flaunt too much power, too little power, too much consumerism, too little consumerism, they'll always find a reason to want to destroy us. But the Kliyakar says, Tzafona means turn inward. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to flaunt it. Just because you have influence doesn't mean you have to exert it or express it. Right? Just because the community could take over the school board, just because the community could take over the, the local uh, club, just because the community can exert its influence in a certain way doesn't mean that they should, because what are the consequences, often unintended, of doing so? And this is not me. This is the Kliyakar. And you could debate. That's a very gullus mentality. Maybe you should say the Jew has nothing to hide or be defensive of. Be proud. Use the influence and show the affluence. And, and why be... There's a, there's a conversation, a debate to have. In fact, Otsupla Satora quotes, as an extension of his Kliyakar, an incredible tradition. He quotes several Sfarim, that the Abarbanel's name came from his wife's jewelry, that it was the Spanish court saw his wife's extravagant jewelry that led to the expulsion from Spain. Again, not to blame the entire expulsion on the, the Rebetzin of the Abarbanel. But that there is, throughout history, a pattern of when we're too in your face, when we promote and when we're, we're two. So there should be a conversation about this. Are we too affluent? Do we have too much influence, right? This is different than influence or what you were talking about, but how do we use our influence? Who's deciding? Who's deciding? What's important enough? Where do, where do we pick our spots? What's worth fighting? When do we exert our influence? How do we express our, our affluence? And, and do we do it, you know, when you go to a Pesach program or you go to some of the other trips or programs, I, I often wonder, or, or when Kali Israel takes over upstate New York, but there's nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful and it's wonderful and the chassadim and the, it's, it's a great thing. But the average non-Jew, what's their impression? What's their impression they're left with? Right? And do, we, do we cringe by what that impression might be? Or did we make a Kiddush Hashem with it? That yes, this is a community with affluence and influence. And look how they've elevated everyone with it. And look how they're derech heretz and their menshlech kite. And look how they're stuck on their sense of justice. And look at the Kiddush Hashem that they make for everyone with it. Or is it the opposite? So again, I, I'm not weighing in on the Kliyakar's observation other than to say this should be towards the top of the agenda of Kal Yisrael. We have a long-standing Mesorah of how to live in poverty and pogroms. We don't have a strong that I'm aware of a Mesorah of how to live without affluence and influence, and whoever does convene these conversations to set the agenda should talk about how and when we use it, what are the consequences, often unintended of it. So, Ephraim, this leads me to my next question. Um, To me, one of the most worrying things about influencers is that you have people who have absolutely, there's no, they don't need smicha, they don't need a degree, they don't anything. I mean, all you need is somebody charming with uh, some guts and a big mouth. I mean, there's zero qualification. I mean, they could be qualified in respect that they do what they do well. But in effect, we have people now setting forth a a, a new standard for Klal Yisrael who are unlicensed. Mm Mm-hmm. Like Rabbanim needed a smicha, a shaykhit needed Kabbalah. Every position, you know, to be a hairstylist, you need a license. To be an influencer requires nothing, and you have a microphone, and you're representing Kal Yisrael, both Lifnim and Bachut. I find that a little frightening. It's, it's enormously frightening, and that's, I think, again, on the consumer I, I, I of... I saw an influencer, and just I saw an influence while I was doing this. He says he has 27 lessons on why Jews are rich. 
how you could be rich like a Jew, how you could make even more money than the Jews, how the Jews make money. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying it's like something, it sounds like something Goebbels would write. Right. And right. As you, you, you need absolutely no, um, there's no filter. Right. Yeah, to, to put it in, in the Torah context, the Gemara Shabbos says, Kof Yetef, Rabbi Yitzchak says, L'chorva Yerushalayim, Ela B'Shvil, Shehush V'Katan V'Gadol. Yeah. So, and, and the internet's made everyone is the great equalizer, right? As long as you have a camera and an internet connection, maybe even a keyboard, so everyone's equal. And that's why I think the burden is on the consumer for ourselves and for our children and for our community to say, just because something's popular or viral doesn't mean it's true or that it's right and doesn't mean it's our truth. So who, who's the one saying it? What is it based on? Where does it come from? Does the, does, like, like you just said, does the person, are they learned? Do they have Rebbeim? Do they have a Masora? Do they have a Rebbe who knows when they push the envelope too far? We have to know the difference between a cotton and a gadol. We have to know what something's, even in the general world, something's peer-reviewed or something has to be approved. This is a general issue where anyone can hang a shingle and, and, and they present themselves as equal. And to a degree, that's that's useful, right? I think Justice Brandeis said that sunlight's the greatest disinfectant. So the fact that people can highlight and talk about things, there are those who, who present themselves as authorities who really were, were counterfeit and were frauds and were hurting so sometimes it's helpful when others can shine a light on them. There's, there's that benefit. But again, the burden is on we, the consumer, to be judicious, to filter, to ask these questions, to understand. You know, it's one thing to be entertained. So someone had a great recipe. Someone had a great hack about how to cook something in the kitchen or a great hack for how to get your kids to go to sleep on time. So, okay, those are things to embrace. But if it's a hashkafas hachayim, if somebody's representing Torah Hashem, if somebody's trying to set the agenda of Kla Yisrael, the stakes are much higher on those types of things. And we need to ask those questions before we jump on board and buy into that person being an authority. So to further quote the Gemara and Shabbos and Kofi Tess on the bottom over there, it says, the Yerushalayim What is the integrity of the, of the person we're listening to? So as, as a Mechanach, I would ask you, should yeshivas, and maybe not all yeshivas, because maybe some yeshivas, the kids will never have access to internet, do we have to start educating, like just, you know, a one-time class? By the way, kids, you're going to see influences and you know, these are the values, and this is you have you have to understand. They're not our abundant, they're not our gedolim. If they're making, you know, a nice a simchif platter, it's wonderful. If it's, you, I mean, should there be some type of a chinuch around it, given their now outsized influence? Absolutely, a hundred percent, there should be. 100%. It's a shmirah. The same way that we teach shmirah in other areas of life, physical dangers. This is a shmirah to the neshama because, Reb David, I don't care what community you're from, and there's an example of, there's a from, a, a from conservative media pundit, we all know, who's enormously popular in the world, millions of followers, and, and the biggest following he has is in the most from community. Bachram, Yeshiva Bachram, we love to listen. And he's actually become a friend of mine, but, but he's also not Torah Misenai. And, and his, you know, observations about politics might be very, very insightful and wise and brilliant and someone can feel attracted to them and connected to them but but you know representing Yiddishkeit or Torah not necessarily so I do think that we need to it doesn't matter which segment of the community whether it's going to be in a smart device or whether it's going to be in print or whether it's going to be whatever other forum our children and we are and will be exposed to people and one of the things that we have to be trained on is to ask ourselves where is it coming from how do we know the authority that's presenting it just like kashras before you go eat something so okay I don't recognize this symbol what's this kashras is this something that I should be consuming physically so what my neshama consumes is as important as what my body consumes. So what's the hechsher on what my neshama is about to consume? Best from thank you very much for your time. Thank you for including me. Health Joining us from Brooklyn is Chaya Lichtenstein, no relation that I know of, who runs a website called uh, Shei Chaya, 
which and I believe that she has around 150,000 followers, which makes her one of the top Orthodox uh, Jewish influences. Welcome, uh, Shechaya. Thank you so much for having me. I am truly honored to be here. I want you to know this is the first podcast I actually accepted to be on. Okay, we're on it. Tell us, could you give Thank us you. Uh, the audience, many of which are probably don't have so much experience with this area, what do you do? You're, what is your influence in what field? Like, how would you describe your position and job? So I think the word influencer is a new word. Um, and let's break down basically what, what is an influencer. So how I see it is that influencers are individuals, me, you, anyone, who have established like a significant presence and trust and following on social media platforms. And social media platforms can be Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, WhatsApp status, YouTube, any media platform. And we have the, we have, we have the gift and we have we possess the ability to influence opinions and behaviors and people's purchasing decisions because of their ability to connect with us in an authentic and authentic way. So influencers range also, and they have different, I would say, like niches. So fashion, Judaism, beauty, fitness, politics, travel, food, technology, or lifestyle. So I would say that for me, I fall under the category of food and lifestyle. That's where um, most of my content is. Really, like if you would watch me, it's the freedom to feel good. Like when you watch Shechaya, you feel good. It's a dose of happiness. That That's really what it is. Um, and really what influencers do is that they, they build connections with their followers and hopefully we're seen as relatable, trustworthy, funny, um, educational. And also what we do as an influencer, I would say ultimately what influencer goal is, is probably to bridge the gap between brands and consumers, like in a very authentic storytelling way. That's that's how I can probably best describe what we do and why we're called influencers and why it's called influencer marketing. I mean, I can explain to you a little what influencer marketing is, but that's just the strategy. And and, who, and do, so do, do corporations or individuals advertise on your site? Yeah, yeah. I have all different. I have um, brands. I have products. I have hotels. I have services. I have all sorts of food products. Know and love. I put a luxury hotel on the map, um, brands you know and love, if you want, I can share some brands, but and anybody, anybody who has a product that feels um, authentic to me, connected to me, something that I feel that as a consumer I would buy, I open their platform and I give them that space. Now, source. Yeah. Do you, are you sort of, a, 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 do you, are you in any way a role model to your followers? I would say, I would say I am. I really take this role very seriously and I look at it as Hashem gave me a platform that I don't want to abuse. And every single day when I show up, I say, is this something that I'm going to be embarrassed of or proud of? Is this something that when I meet people, I'm going to be embarrassed that I put out there? So I try to put out inspiring content, content, content that makes you feel good if you're watching it, um, content that's going to be uplifting, that's going to feel good, that's going to be comforting, really content that's going to make you smile. I don't touch upon anything that's like controversial or anything that's going to trigger anyone. That's not what I'm here for. And I don't believe that's what Hashem gave me this platform. I will talk about uncomfortable topics that I find are taboo and important, but never in a controversial way and never in a way that's going to make somebody tune in and not feel good. Like, I see it as life is hard enough as it is. Why do you want to watch it higher and have it bring you down? I want to leave people feeling like their heart is warm. They're smiling. They got something out of something that I posted today. I was resilient. I woke up in the morning despite having a hard day. Um, we, all, we all have struggles. So that's really, um, I, I, I take the role very seriously as a role model. And I'm honored when I meet people and they hug me in the street and they say, hi, you have no idea what you did for us. And sometimes I cry. It, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. 
Do you ever have situations where you feel like you need a rav to ask a question? Should I do it this way? Should I do it that way? Um, I don't. I don't. I've never landed into a predicament like that because I am very careful in the brands that I take on. Um, I had one occasion where there was an exception, but I'm doing this 10 years, and I never ran into a predicament where I felt like I needed Das Torah. And if I did, I would call. And so give me an example of something you would say, this is what I do do, and this is something I wouldn't do. Hmm. So like meaning in like brands that like I would uh, take you, on? Yeah, you would take on and you would turn down. Okay. So when a brand comes to me, a brand, a, um, a store, a service, the first thing that I ask myself, is this something that I would genuinely buy as a consumer? So that, that, that's across the board. So I don't take on any advertising gigs necessarily as an influencer and look at it as, okay, this is a way that I can make a lot of money. Is this something that I myself would genuinely buy as a consumer? Because I have like a commitment to authenticity. And that means like when I advertise, it's really as a genuine consumer that believes in the product. So would I wear it? Would I taste it? Would I use it? Would I consider bringing this content to my followers and genuinely endorse it? Because this took me 10 years to build a following. There's no money that you can pay me that I'm going to take on something that might potentially fail which happened one time, if you want to know about that. But we're not proud of that. But, but give me an example of something you would say, I wouldn't do this. I wouldn't, I'll something give you an example. You're, you're not, going to, you're not sure. going to take cigarettes, right? But give me something no. that's, that's like beyond the pale. Give me something that's a little bit closer to home, but you would say, look, this, this is something I can't do because of my moral, because of whatever, ethics, et cetera, what would it be? So CBD was something I definitely didn't want to touch. Like for an example, I got married two and a half years ago, and for eight years I had wig companies reach out to me. We'll pay you whatever you want. And I'm like, I'm not married. I haven't worn it. I didn't try it. I don't know what it feels like. I'm not taking it on. They're like, no, we're the top brand. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not taking it on. It doesn't resonate with me. It doesn't resonate with me and it doesn't resonate with my followers. So it really needs to resonate with me. Um, not cigarettes, not drugs, not, none of n nothing controversial. I don't take on politics. Um, I don't touch that. And brands that really also, if I don't feel like I can make you money, I won't take it on. What about, Again, would, you do shaitals, would you do shaitals today? Yes. Would you do lace top shaitals? Would you do lace top yes. shaitals? Yes. And are you concerned at all that there are many Rabbanim who are very highly opposed to it? I definitely respect the Rabbanim that say that for those type of people, but I also feel like it's something that I struggle with within myself. I got married older and I have beautiful hair, so for me it was something that I significantly struggle with. So if I had to say it's either covering or not covering, at least let me cover it in a way that I feel like it's covered and I feel good and I feel beautiful. It shouldn't take away from the way I feel every single day. I know that it represents marriage and I'm proud and I'm honored to do it. Um, and I think everybody feels, everybody does what they need to feel is right and speak to their like local orthodox rabbi. When I am presented a halacha question, um, how do you check your letters? How do you do this? Please ask your local orthodox rabbi. I'm not a rabbi and I'm not going to paskin for you. And I'm very, very careful about that. So let's go to food now. Would you would you use in your food things like um, like um, romaine lettuce, which you know in the whole leaf can't be you can't buy checked? Would you use that in your cooking? Um, I wouldn't use it in a recipe that's a mass recipe, a public recipe. But if I'm making a burger and I'm not tagging any particular company, um, I would. I grew up where my father didn't eat lettuce out anywhere. He only ate what he particularly checked. So we're very careful and mocked with that. So I don't have an issue showing it in my cooking, but I'm not going to show you how to wash it and how to do it. I'm not a rabbi and everyone does differently. And I'm not opening the platform for you to come to say, my mother said this, my grandmother said this. 
you do you. That's a big high line. You do you and ask your local Orthodox rabbi. That's not the role that I was given. <laughs> right. No, it's uh, it's, it's interesting. And what about like? Yeah. Are there any hechsherim? Do you have any care? Like, are there any hechsherim you would or wouldn't use? Um, across the board, my page is generally Chal Vishal. Um, I don't cook with anything not Chal Vishal. It's how we grew up in a Chal Vishal household. And then, you know, we also did not Chal Vishal out of the house, like snacks and Starbucks. But I won't particularly cook with any OUD items, just for just my own standard. Again, I have such a vast following of people that are, A, not particularly kosher, that do eat out. And I don't push any religious agenda that it has to have a high mishashkacha, particular shita, a certain thing. You know, I believe in everybody, you do you and you do what works for you. So I won't, I won't um, push a particular thing. The only product that I took on um, as a product that was OUD was breakstones because I know with butter, people are on the fence about so that's the only product that I took on to advertise as a paying gig was breakstones. Otherwise, I turned down any any real OUD thing. Okay. And what responsibility does an influencer have to do due diligence when endorsing a product or some type of a you know business? Like I'm a travel agency so, and I come to you and I say, hey, could you? And I could be a, maybe I'm a really awful travel agency. Well, okay. I don't know. I just so picked I, that, I, I just I, picked that I, out of random. I love okay. travel agencies. No. We should lift to 120. I'm just trying to amen, you know amen. just trying to use it as an example. Uh, you know what? How much due diligence we 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 had on our program last week that something that an influence was influencing something that was truly dubious because he was being yeah, paid. It and my question is, how do you deal with that? Like, you know, hey, do I check the, the you know, it's it's a guy, he's selling, he's selling uh, stocks. I mean, do I know if he's a good stockbroker, he's a bad stockbroker, so what's stock, his record? Stocks I, stock, stocks I wouldn't take on. Um, but first of all, I take an immense responsibility when reckon, recommending a product to my audience. Um, which, is the way, which is high, which is the way it should be. Of course it should yeah, be. But I, so I but what do you I do? Enjoy. So what do you do? It's, okay. I'm a travel agency. So like, how, do you, how do you check out a good travel agency, a bad travel okay, agency? Okay, yes. I ensure that the product, first of all, it has to align with my values and genuinely add value to the lives of my following. Okay? I never and never endorse a product that I haven't personally tried tested and found worthy to be a recommending because authenticity and trust for me are paramount in influencer marketing and in my page as general. And I want to preserve that trust with my audience. I really want to. So if you're a travel agent, you're saying, Hey, Chaya, I'm amazing and I'm the best and I'm elite. Great. Um, where are we going? What are you sending me? Let me see what your customer service is. Let me see how your emails are. Let me see if I can trust you, if you're honest, if you have integrity. Let me see if the brand that you're putting out there is actually true. So before I even I even put you on my page, where are we going? We're going to Thailand? Great. Um, and I want to see how my relationship with you evolved. And it's happened that I've tried it. And after that, I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm going to have to pass. And sometimes they'll throw money at me. We'll pay you five. We'll pay you ten. We'll pay you twelve. And you have a quiet and you're a Jewish brand. No, I don't. I don't. And I'm not putting this out there. And it happened that there was a beautiful food company that came out with an olive oil line. Gorgeous packaging. I'm very visual by nature. It's got to be beautiful. Anyway, I'm excited. I tell them my pricing. We agree on my pricing. I say, but please send me the product first. Awful. Awful. They didn't. They use like synthetic lemon juice, synthetic ingredients. And I messaged them, and I'm like, I'm sorry. Your product is beautiful. Um, you can do better if you reevaluate your brand and you change your recipe. I would consider taking it on, but I'm sorry I have to pass. And he was shouting and he was upset. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not taking it on. I'm not taking it on for any money. I'll pay you whatever you want. Um, and I sent you the free product. I said, you did. If you'd like, I can send it back to you. But I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility. Because one person buys it, I'm finished. It's, it's not worth the five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. It's my reputation and my trust. 
And that's all I have at the end of the day. Okay. Here's a question. A very, uh, um, I think it's a sensitive question, and it's it's not something that, Ooh, you know. Here's a question. Pushing people to live beyond their means and to be envious, which I think, unfortunately, a lot of the um, Jewish media does. Yes. Certain magazines, like, you know, um, very high-end and big, giant, thick steaks and places like where you could spend $2,000 for a roast. I mean... Are we pushing a lifestyle that, first of all, many people can't afford, and it just creates um, bitterness and envy to create, you know, unhappiness with children and families and unhappiness itself, right? I think social media as a whole, that is what it does. It puts your life in somebody else's eyes, and they are envious, whether it's of your marriage, whether it's of the fact that you have children, whether the fact that you have that one and a half million dollar house with a pool, whether it's products they can't afford. I think across the board, social media is unhealthy in that way because there's always going to be something that I don't have that someone else has that you don't have that someone else has. So by you watching and consuming that is going to be hurtful. Like you really have to be a healthy person to watch social media and not, not be, not be jealous. That being said, you you are right, and I have to be very careful. And by the way, Shetai, um, I, I never saw your program. I'm, I, I honestly don't. I, I have a my lifestyle. My life is very limited in what I do. Like it's it's in small packets. But but and it could be you don't create any envy. So I wasn't asking that to you, having watched no, your. No, 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 I'm not. I'm asking I'm, you generally. I'm, not, I'm, not. I'm asking you as a general thing. Like um, you know, we create we, you know, people to be either lefnaiver or 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 Messiah or or you know, unhappiness with their lives because. You know, it, this is the most gorgeous simcha I ever saw. This is the most gorgeous vacation I ever saw. This is the most gorgeous. If, you, if, you, if you're showing a chocolate cake, that's unlikely to happen. So I'm asking you this. You, you, you may say reference to your own blog, or you may say it in reference to the world in general. What do you think of the media that pushes this opulent type of lifestyle? We're a lot of an Etaira. Um I had a guy from Lakewood call me up. He said him and his wife, Baruch Hashem, they have a bunch of kids, and they live on like $60,000 a year, and his next-door neighbor just spent $60,000 on his Hanukkah vacation. Like, How do you, as an influence, and I don't know what you do, how, do you, how would you answer that question? I you're, you're really right. It's, it's hard to be mindful of their financial, emotional, and physical limitations. It really, it really is hard. Within myself, I have boundaries in what I do share and what I don't share. I do maintain a high-low lifestyle where I'll share things that are a little bit high-end, but then I'll also share things that are lower-end, um, and I make it look pretty. But I think that social media is always going to be putting things in people's eyes. It, it will be. Like you said, it's the simcha, it's the vacation, it's the house, it's, it's whatever it is. Um, that's really like saying then don't put anything out there because people are going to be jealous of everything and, and, and they won't see past that jealousy. And I'll give you an example. I was single for a very long time and it was, it's very challenging to be, I don't like to say older single, very challenging. Mature, so we call and them mature, mature singles, not older singles. Mature singles. I like that. Yes, mature singles. So I lived in my parents' house and I'm very grateful for that. And when I made my contribution to Sukkot was doing a sukkah that was out of this, you've never seen it, looked prettier than my living room. And I put my heart and soul into this decorating, draping, furniture, flowers. It was out of this world. And Yantif is hard when you're not married. Yantif is hard when you're mature, single, and you don't have children, and my family's coming, and my nieces and nephews are coming. It's painful. This, for me, was expressing a passion 
and a hobby and a creativity and a way to make interesting content. And most of it was received well. And then it was received from people who were saying, I wish I could do that. I need to hang my children's ugly um, circus things on the wall. I need to use a plastic tablecloth. And my heart was a little breaking because I'm like, I, I want that plastic tablecloth. I want those children decorations. I want that. And, and, I, and I tried to privately explain this to people. I'm like, you only see it one dimensional. You don't see where I'm coming from. And when I explained it to them from that perspective, everybody has something and everybody has something that other people want. And it's really just about being a mature person and, 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 and internalizing that. But it's really hard to maintain that balance. It, it, it is hard because anything that I'm going to put out there, somebody's going to be lacking and be jealous. I mean, I don't have kids. And I set a table, Shabbos, that is outrageously gorgeous. And there's people who have five children that are going to be envious of it. Would I rather have five kids and not have time to be busy with my flowers? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it, it is put in people's eyes, the, the simchas and the opulence and the travel and everybody's in Europe and the south of France and in Cannes. Yeah, it, it is. But it's really for me and something that I talk about on my page is being grateful for we, what we do have. And I talk about this every single day, being grateful for the constants that you have, because something that you have, someone else is wishing for. And as an influencer, I get paid to promote different items, whether it's jewelry, whether it's hotels, some high end, some low end. Um, I definitely won't take on really high end things like I didn't take on diamonds and jewelry because I didn't want to put it in people's face for that reason. I didn't. I, I, it was something that I don't talk about my relationship on, on social media. It's something that I want bracha in it. And I believe that there is bracha in things that aren't shared. I don't show my face on social media, which was actually written up in Forbes, um, how the Instagrammer is killing it without showing her face. I don't show my face. So for me, I live by boundaries in what I do show and what I don't show. And a lot of times people understand that it's also a business thing and they're not necessarily envious. Okay. Do you believe that influencers have a duty to speak out on either social on social issues? Well, what do you consider social issues? There are so many. I mean, what we were just speaking last week about divorce singles can't get their kids into schools because they're afraid it's some type of an infection that the other kids in the school. Will <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, very incredibly hurtful things, you know, or, or how a mature single was telling me that she got invited to a wedding. She's a lawyer in a big firm and she was put by the children's table because she didn't have uh, another half, you know, like things yeah, like, would you, would you ever, this happens yeah. to be the last one we spoke about. Do you ever speak about things like that? So I'm not afraid to speak about things that are passionate to me. I won't touch upon the hardships of um, being a divorced mother with children. I will touch upon hardships that I struggled with because for me, my pages run with my heart and with feeling with authenticity. So I will share about IVF and I will talk about it in abundance and in education where it's informed thousands. I will talk about the importance of egg freezing where hundreds and thousands of single girls, if Chaya can do it and Chaya made it look cool and Chaya had the resilience, I can do it. I've talked about the importance of going to therapy. I've talked about the struggles of being single, all things that I have lived through personally. And, but I say it with grace and never pity. And in a way that's also a little bit humorous and, and people have received it beyond, beyond. I'm not afraid to talk to talk about things. But then I have like um, a boundary and I, I don't talk about my family and I don't talk about painful health issues in my family out of privacy for my family. So I'll talk about things that I myself have struggled with and maybe surpassed and maybe not. So I'm not afraid to talk about taboo subjects. Okay. How do you deal with legal issues like um, giveaways, contests, promotions? Um, uh, you know, intellectual property concerns, copyrights. Do, do you have anybody you consult with that? Do you ever come across these issues when using music, so I, using music, images, other copyrighted material in your content? 
So I don't use copyrighted material. The only music I'll use is music that is available from Instagram to take. I won't take intellectual rights and properties for anybody else. Many of the brands that I worked with, we have a contract and you have to write either sponsored, promoted, partners, ad, um, but I've never run into intellectual property rights. Um, I've never run into that. And if, if so, I would definitely speak to a lawyer um, and ask. Uh, an interesting story about that is that I, um, on, I, I have my own products that I sell also. And I'm also an influencer, but I also have my own products. And one of those products were um, these bracelets, and they're, they have like positive, inspiring mantras on that. And one of them was um, trust goods that dine goods. You know, I put it out to my followers and I asked them, what would you like to see on, on the bracelet? The so one was Gamze Avar, one was Enod Novado, one was trust goods that dine goods. And I thought it was amazing. The Rebbe said it. It would appeal to my, my, my Crown Heights followers. It would appeal to the Monroe followers, the Yiddish speaking. Anyway, I put it out there and some guy called me up. I raised and he's like, I trademarked this, this, this phrase. And I'm like, you're not the Rebbe. Like, yeah, what does that trademark. mean? Yeah. You, you can't trademark. <laughs> he also trademarked Enoid Mulvade, I heard. Right, exactly. Like, you, you can't trademark that. Anyway, yeah. I, he was definitely had a very stronger, I'm, I'm pretty strong personality. He had an even stronger personality. And the lawyers came after me and he had trademarks. And I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, I partnered up with a, with a, a jewelry company or husband's and Cola. Like we thought we were going to make a couple thousand dollars. We're not looking to step on anyone's toes. You know, we bought 500 of these pieces. We we're selling them for, you know, $69. You know, he came at me with all the guns and I was like, I'm, I'm not here for that. Like I was doing something nice. I wanted to share something yeah. positive. It wasn't a, I'm out. A, a, I'm a, out. Astonishing hubris to, to uh, copyright traffic. Yes. Yes. And also the phrase, it's almost ironic what the phrase was and what it turned out to be. Yeah. You know, like talk to the thing, boom, 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 let's come with the lawyers. I'm like, I'm out, I'm out. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I sold five yeah. five pieces and then we took it off. Yeah. We, we, we you know, I, 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 at work, in life, we always bump into, you know, the people that. <laughs> What's that? Um, last question. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I want to hear the people that. You know, there's, there's, there's just a certain amount of people, you know, um, uh, the uh, I have to be careful how to use the, the exact word, but the, the jerk factor. And, oh, when I, yeah. I, and, when I be, and when I meet them, you know, and I think to myself, I used to get very upset. I used to say, you know what, we, we have to meet two a day. Baruch Hashem now, my quote is done. The rest of the day is going to be good. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. So, okay, last question um, to I, you. I, I definitely get, get that also because when you're, when you're a, a positive um you know, when you're an influencer and you're a celebrity, you get that also. But but I get very seldom of those. So last question. Because of how I run my page. Sure. Who, who do you consider um, a mentor, a rav, an advisor, somebody who you would go to for a moral or ethical decision? A moral or first of all, my father. Um, okay. He, his his moral compass is 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 as straight as they come. There's, there's black and white. There's no gray area. He's probably one of, like, I'm going to choke up. He's probably one of the most brilliant, worked on, learned men that I know. So I run by a lot of things by my Where daughter. Where is he a Talmud? Like, who is your father, may I ask? He's a Talmud Lichtenstein. He's Robert Lichtenstein or Chaim Yitzchak Lichtenstein. He's a dentist. Um, but he's just an incredibly worked on person. Um, any opportunity, he's learning and he's growing. And we just talk Hashkafa and Hadracha. And he's, okay. he's incredible. So there's that. Um, my brother-in-law, who's an oncologist, 
um, Ozzy Hirschfeld. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. So I will run things by him also. He's just brilliant. He has a brilliant factor and also the from factor. And then if it comes to anything like real halacha, like nitty gritty related, depending on the area of what I'm asking, I will probably go to like one of my husband's rabbis or I'll ask my father, who does he recommend? You know, should we go to the Munkach rabbi? Should we go to this one? Who should we go to for this area of expertise? Um, so I will definitely ask and go to the, the right people. Well, Sheikhai, it sounds like you're running a wonderful, wonderful uh, podcast, and I wish you nothing but Hatzlacha. Thank you so much, and everyone can follow me on Instagram at Sheikhai, and I would be honored to have them part of my family. Okay, well, thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much. I'm, thank you. I'm very honored. Take care. Bye-bye. Joining us from New York is Nachi Gordon. He has two podcasts, Meaningful Minute and Meaningful People. They're seen by hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, he's a true digital native. Welcome, Nachi. Thank you. So happy to be here. Nachi, what are some of the dangers to society when we give everybody a microphone? Uh, we give anybody the ability to influence, and basically he can say what he wants, when he wants, and we've certainly seen some, you know, some strange stuff. What's your feeling? I mean, you live in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it definitely could pose some challenges. Uh, things are not necessarily filtered through what's correct, what's right, and that's just the way it is. It's the way it is in society, and obviously it's the way it is a little bit in the Jewish world, um, as we have more influencers now than, than we did five years ago or ten years ago. Um, it does pose challenges. You know, it, it, I think it, it makes it a little more difficult and um, important for the consumer to, to really be able to to by themselves think and use their brain and say, hey, is this accurate? Is this something that, you know, I'm on board with? And not just take things for face value. Right. How many, give us just some type of a view. How many influences are there? How many people do they reach, et cetera? I mean, there's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, if we're talking Instagram, there, I would say there are... I don't know, 50 big interviewers, some of them that they could post a video on, on Instagram and they could reach 50,000, 100,000 people plus in, in a 24-hour time period. Um, it, it's hard to quantify, it's hard to say how many there are exactly. But like you said in the outset, really, the microphone is in anyone's hand and, and the amount of influencers are, are increasing every single day. Anybody who wants to you know, go out there, have an opinion, say an opinion, they can, they can gain a following and they can uh, become popular. And you know, so the number I say today will be different tomorrow and it's different than it was yesterday. Um, but it, it's it's certainly something that has increased um, over the, the the last few years by by a very quick pace, and the amount of people that they're reaching it, it, on TikTok nowadays, you have Jewish influencers that they represent orthodoxy, and you know there are a couple of them who have a million followers, and their videos, each one of their videos, are seen by well over two hundred thousand views each one. So it's a lot of people. It's, it's Jewish people, it's non-Jewish people, but they reach a lot of people. And how do you think the rise of social media influences has affected either the spiritual or moral, moral value of, uh, of their followers? So I think it does. I think it, it has a positive effect, and of course, there's the potential for a negative effect. Um, both of them exist. You know, there, there, there are influencers that use their platform and they do good with it. They are preaching good spiritual ideas, meaningful ideas, and there's no doubt that there are many of them that are having and they're making a Kiddush Hashem, 100%. Are there some that maybe are misusing their platform? Yes. And, and the same ability there is to do 
positive, there is ever more to do negative. So I think that um, it has to be with that with, with that lens, that it's not just negative effect that they can have, but they also have a positive effect. But um, the stakes are high when it comes to that. Have you observed instances where influences may have exploited their, um, their religious authority to manipulate their audience? When you say manipulate their audience, well... What do you mean? You know, if you if you look a certain way, you can sell something much better. And influences are all about selling. So do we see yeah, religion I mean, used as a tool to sell? I would say it's happened. <laughs> I would say that it definitely has happened. It's something that anyone in, in, in my space, in this space, who has a following needs to be very careful about. Um, it does exist. It's very tempting, you know. Uh, it's very possible to happen, but what can I say? It's it's not uh, not the reason why this medium was created, nor how it should be used. But it's important for the consumers to know that that's a possibility, and not just and not just because someone said this and oh, this influencer said X, Y, and Z, that means it's thin. That means that that's the way it is. Everyone needs to do their due diligence. Would you be concerned if you were a Jewish uh, Rav principal, Mashpia, and saying, you know, I can reach 500 people, 1,000 people, I send a letter to my congruents, and here you have, you know, young people, or not young people, but basically all they have to know is understand how social media works, and they're reaching 50,000 people, like they've become the new representatives of, of God. Like, would you would you be concerned at all about that? Um, so there, there definitely can be a level of concern. My personal opinion, and that's only, you know, I, I can only speak for myself, is I don't see it as concern as much as it's an opportunity. There are ambassadors of Hashem. There's ambassadors of the Jewish people that can reach hundreds of thousands of people with the click of a button. Now that comes with, you know, the potential downfall. That comes with, with risk. And we need to do a very good job at making sure that the influencers that are that our congregation and that our, our, our circles and our community are, are listening to and tuning into, like, make sure that they're doing a good job at, at influencing. Um, if, I'm a, if, if I was a rabbi and, I, and, you know, and I speak to many of them, and not only that, there are a lot of rabbis nowadays, rabbis like Rabbi Chase Taub or Imanus Friedman, that they've had, they've had videos that have been reviewed by millions of people online. They're using the same medium. You know, it, it's not exclusive to the young person who knows how to use social media. We see a lot of, uh, nowadays, especially from the Seed I sit in, a lot, a lot of rabbis are starting starting to garner the power of social media to reach the masses. So I think that is there concern? I think you could be concerned about anything and everything. But with the same level, if not more, of concern, there should be there should be opportunity and optimism. What about the possibility of creating anti-Semitism? I mean, I'm, I'm, and, and if you want to bypass this, but I'm looking at an influencer now, mm-hmm. you know, beard and a yarmulke. It looks like the Jewish secret to wealth: mm-hmm. how Jews make money. How Jewish people make each other wealthy. All post It's like tropes of anti-Semitism, literally. Jews teach their children how to make money, where to keep your cash. Jewish. I mean, do you worry that you give the microphone to the wrong person and it just becomes almost like a drooling opportunity for an anti-Semite? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't worry as much as, you know, oh, well, is this going to create more anti-Semitism? I think that the anti-Semitism exists. <laughs> You're not going to create more anti-Semites. Maybe give them more, you know, food to chew on, perhaps you could say so. To, to what you mentioned, I think that, you know, we have to be very careful, anybody who does um, have this power in the Jewish world, to not fall for the clickbait route. You know, what you mentioned, can, that, that, that can very well be someone who is trying to maximize the algorithm rhythm and, and get clicks and and uh, make sure their video gets as many views as possible so they'll use 
they'll use those those words and they'll you know make sure an image of a beard and a face like that that does well for the click that does well for the views you just have to really uh, but in terms of creating anti-semites and creating anti-semitism anti-semitism has always existed and it probably will until the day Mashiach comes I, I'm not worried about a Jewish influencers creating more of that I, I don't think so I'm not saying it's the right thing I'm not saying that it's something that it should be done maybe tacky but creating more anti-semites I don't think so what role do you see influences and social media playing in the future like you're saying it's an opportunity I honestly don't see the, you know the Rosh Hashivas of Haredi Yeshivas taking to Instagram and TikTok I agree with you on that yeah. so what role do you see going forward like will it do more harm than good and what do I mean to say is that you know, you you have a a very um, worthwhile and religious, meaningful message that you pass on on your blog, on your mm-hmm. on your Instagram. Many don't. It's about commercialism, consumerism, sales, um, with with sort of like some soft, you know, maybe a little bit of you know, blintz Judaism mixed in. If that is getting a hundred thousand views and and the rabbis are really not getting that number of views. Do you see this social medium as a whole as something that's beneficial or ultimately damaging to uh, our religious way of life? Well, I think there's no clear answer to a question like that. I think it really depends, you know, what age are we talking? If you ask me, well, for, the, for our youth, is, for a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old to be delving into social media, is that good for them or bad for them? You know, there's different answers. As a whole... I mean, I think that Hashem puts everything in this world for a reason. There's good and bad that could be done with it. It's up to us to make sure we could do as much good as possible. Other people using it for not great reasons. Other people using it to, to benefit financially, and maybe they're doing some questionable things with it. 100%. But, you know, that's not, that's not the area in which I operate in. I, I, I don't do that. Uh, a lot of people who I know who use social media to spread terror don't do that. And um, I think the question is not, is it da- more damaging and, and or beneficial? But I think it's like, it's here. It's not going anywhere. It's only going to increase in, in what the technology looks like and how many people are going to be using it. How can we make sure that we have more people using it for positive and the message is coming from the top and it's, and it's a unified message as opposed to making believe it doesn't exist? Do you think that... Um it fans consumerism. Do I think it I mean, what, fans consumerism? In other words, basically, what is what, what what are they doing? It's like here's where you're going to get the best this and the best that. This is the juiciest steak, and that's the nicest car, and this is the nicest thing. So at the end of the day, for many. I'm not talking about you, but for many mm-hmm. other uh, um, influences, it's basically, you know, how materialistic of a life could we possibly lead? And if you think yours is materialistic, well, guess what? We could make it better. I mean, we could say the same thing when you open up a new Jewish magazine. I, I don't, and you know what? And I don't disagree. And I think there are magazines that are very careful what they print. And there are a lot of magazines that don't. And, right. and But there's something more intense about seeing somebody on lo- alive, selling, you know, it's, it's you know, video is much more powerful than, than print media. So it's sort right. of print media on steroids. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have an issue with, you know, let's say a kosher food festival where we're putting out our best food items and people are coming for 12 hours and eating away? And is, is, do, you, do you see that as any consumerism? Absolutely. I don't think it's a good thing. But I think that that's like one day. And this is mm-hmm. 365 days. Listen, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't know day people can make money on social media, and people should make money on social media. There are businesses that are able to increase sales using using their 
there's is using social media. But like I don't know. I, I don't I don't view it as any any different as as what we see in magazines, what we see even if you drive down Lakewood on billboards, right? Like I, I don't live in Lakewood, but I know they have these Jewish billboards that are flipping every eight seconds and, and it's not a bad thing. It's just different unique ways to reach people nowadays. They're reaching people where they are. And in the Facetious community there are phone hotlines that do this. I'm sure you've you've gotten phone calls from well, let's say Colmavasner or something else. Right? Every community has different ways of reaching them. So and so social media is one of them. It's and podcast is one of them too. I mean the, the thing that we're doing right now is this is also no. Yeah, but we're not selling anything. We're not, you know, we're right. not selling steaks or uh, or uh, I'm talking about the when we a lot of social media is about sales. I think that there are influencers so, that are following, and they have advertising. Yes, they that's how they that's how they make money. They they are, they're able to promote things, and I don't think it's any different than magazines like Mishwaka or Ami that are having articles, which are good articles, and then full page ads for let's say a pay hotel or something else. Nachi, this was a fascinating interview. Thank you very much for your time. Of course. Thank you.